Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, this morning we are going to continue through our Woven in Gospel series, and I had the scriptures and things uh, on uh, some slides, but for some reason they didn't come through. But I trust that you guys will follow along. So we're going to start with a reading from Luke chapter 10, and Dave's going to bring us that, and then after that, Lola's going to bring us two from John. As we've been going through this series, it's been really fun to look at how John has been giving a commentary on the other Gospels. Remember, John's Gospel was written quite a bit after the others, and the other Gospels were in circulation at the time. And so John is writing what he wanted to be known even after what we know from the other Gospels. And so there is this kind of weaving over some of the things that we know from the other Gospels, but that John said, I just need to make this a little bit more known or more clear or even something that we didn't see in the other Gospels. John is going to bring Jesus's public ministry to an end in chapter 12, but it's not the end of Jesus's ministry. Jesus is going to go on and minister to his disciples for chapters 13 through 17. And so that is something that is not found in the other gospels, that it's something that John is laying the foundation of here and helping us to understand. Jesus goes to this incident where Lazarus, we know, was sick and then died. And Jesus goes to the grave of a dead man and calls him back to the life. And this is one of those points where John's story is different than the synoptics. None of the other gospels talk about this event, which is amazing. Right, Because this is such a, a big thing, you would think that would be that much more publicized. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say nothing about Lazarus' resurrection. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' ministry ends. It doesn't continue after these kinds of things. But he has a lot more to say. And in spite of the different direction that John goes, the way his story overlaps with the other ones is obvious. And here we see, and we're going to talk about a tale of two sisters. That's the name of the title. I had a really cool little thing. Just imagine something really cool. Martha and Mary, we met in Luke's gospel and that Dave read, where the story is familiar, where Martha is cooking 
And she says, Jesus, Mary's not helping. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Martha. You know, Mary has chosen the good part and it's not gonna be taken away from her. And in Luke's gospel, Martha and Mary are kind of one-dimensional characters. There is Martha the doer, there's Mary who's the dreamer, right? Martha's doing these things and Mary's doing these things and Jesus has a point to make in Luke's gospel and it really is that he is allowing a woman to sit at his feet, which is the place of a disciple, which is a pretty profound thing, but we only get this little snippet of what they are and what they're doing here in this place where John is going to go a little bit more in depth into who they are, right? Both women have more depth, more color. And the first thing about the sisters that we learn from John is that there is a special quality to their relationship with Jesus. It says in verse three of John chapter 11, the Lord, he whom you love is ill, speaking of Lazarus. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus in verse six. And the bystanders seeing Jesus said, see how he loved him in John eleven thirty six. 36, right after they saw him weeping. And so we see three verses in this chapter where it talks about Jesus's love for them, their love for Jesus. It's reciprocal, but there's a closeness and it's really a foundation to what's happening here. John is clear to lay this out because he wants us to know that Jesus loved them. And he wants us to know that because it seems like a contradiction in action, right? Jesus loved them, but then he hangs out for two days while someone he loves is ill. And that's not what we would expect from love. But it's a reality that I think we all understand. Has anyone ever here felt like God was late? I have. I know we're all like, oh, I don't want to raise my hand because there's been times where I felt like God has been absent. Where I'm praying and it is not reaching the ears of the God that I want it to reach. God is delaying. God is waiting. He he is not responding. That's just the truth. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think there's many times we feel like, God, where are you? God, you're late. God, I needed you to be here to do this. And you didn't show up. And Jesus says that it's about the glory of God and God's son. this is going to be done so that the Lord can be glorified and that he can glorify his son. It's not about death, but glory. Now, glory is a theme that's present throughout John's gospel. Remember in chapter nine, when the man was born blind and they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born this way? And Jesus says, no, it was neither, but that the glory of God might be revealed. And this idea of glory is a little troubling for me because 
when a person wants glory, you know, if we were saying here, man, Dave up here, he was just, he wanted all the glory back on the cajon. Do you see the way he was just so, you know, he, you know. Okay. Right, if that's not a good thing. If a person wants glory, it's narcissistic. Oh man, they're in it just for the glory. Right, they're in it just for themselves. That's the way we think of it, right? And so when we say God wants glory, it's not just uncomfortable, it's troubling. What does that mean, God wants glory? Is he up there just saying, I created you just to worship me? Come on, give it to me. Yeah, sing this side, this side now, right? That's a troubling thought for me, that God wants glory. And so how do we deal with that? And we're going to deal with that a little bit more later. But Jesus just throws this out, that God is doing something more. And he's going to do it more in this event. But first, let's get deeper into the conversation with Martha and Mary, right? In John's gospel, Jesus delays, Lazarus dies. And then she hears that Jesus is coming. And so she comes up to him. And true to form, she is the first one up because she is that kind of person. She's very active. Right, she's in the you know helping prepare things. Jesus, get Mary to come and help me. She hears Jesus coming. She jumps up and runs. She's the active one, and Mary stays at the house. She heard it too, but Mary again is a little bit more contemplative. She's hanging out at the house, just soaking in all that's going on. And when Mar- Martha gets there, her complaint: "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." What a thing to be able to say to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And after saying this, Jesus and Martha have a conversation about Lazarus, about death, and about life. And I find it heartwarming that Jesus spends more time talking to Martha in this story than he does to Mary or to the disciples or to anyone else. That he knows that Martha has questions, concerns, problems, and he spends time to help her with them. We actually see Jesus interacting more with Martha through the Gospels than with Mary. And I know we have this idea, oh, Jesus was so close to Mary, and and he was. He loved her, but he also loved Martha, and he also loved Lazarus, and he knew what Martha needed, and he was there to talk to her. He was there to have a conversation with her when she was asking these things. And that means a lot to me. And it should bring comfort to you, too, that even if you're one of these people who, you know, we think of Martha, the busy one, Mary, the one who's at Jesus's feet. And when she says, you know, Jesus, tell her, he says, oh, leave her alone. It doesn't mean he was dissing her. It doesn't mean that she's second class. It doesn't mean she's not important. When she comes up to him, he spends the time with her. And God will do that with us. How much time do you need? He will spend what time is necessary to help you, to help me to understand. And that's what he's doing here. He knew that Martha was a good listener, that he could be straight with her, and that she would trust what he told her. 
right? Her first words, if you had been here. And then she adds in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Now, I don't think she was saying that you could ask now and he'll be healed. I don't think that was anywhere in her mind. And we know that because later on when Jesus goes to the tomb and he says, roll the stone away, it's Martha who says, oh, don't do that. He stinks. There'll be a stench. Don't do So it wasn't like she says, I believe you. Oh, now don't roll the stone. She didn't have that in mind. I, she believed that if you were here, you could have healed him. And even now, though you didn't come and you didn't heal him, I still believe that you could. And this is, again, touching to me because even though he wasn't there to do what she wanted, she still had faith. She still believed even though you weren't there for us when we needed you. Because sometimes that's, again, how it feels. God, I really needed this. It didn't happen, but I still believe in you. It didn't go my way. It didn't go the way I had hoped. Things didn't work out, but I still believe in you. I still think that you are able to do a work. I haven't given up. She had lost her brother, but not her faith. And I think that's important. I think it's powerful to know that you can still have faith even though God did not answer even though the news was devastating and heartbreaking, you can still have faith. And at some point, their conversation, in their conversation, Jesus told her, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. There it is again, that word glory. It just keeps shouting up to us. And Martha knew Jesus could have healed Lazarus, even her friends and neighbors assumed that he could. In verse 37, they said, isn't the man who opened the eyes of the blind, wouldn't he have been able to heal him? But raising Lazarus intensified the revelation of what God was doing, which is God's glory. It is the work of God. It is the illumination of what God is doing. It is the presence of what God is doing. And when Jesus delayed coming to Lazarus' rescue, it wasn't that he was too busy or didn't care. It was a matter of timing. He was waiting for the opportune moment. Because Jesus later on would say, are there not 12 hours in the day when he was talking to the disciples about going to see Lazarus? Aren't there 12 hours in the day? That doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense at first, Right? But what it tells us is that Jesus was alert to the timing of what he was going to do, that his timing wasn't off, that it was strategic. It was perfect. Perfect for who? Doesn't seem to be perfect for Martha. Doesn't seem to be perfect for Mary. Definitely wasn't perfect for Lazarus, right? Lazarus is dead. Lord, could you come here now? Uh, Wasn't perfect for him. 
At least it doesn't seem that way. In Matthew and Mark, Jesus had to explain to his disciples why he taught in parables, right? I'm telling people in parables because I want to see who really wants to know, right? That seeing they might not perceive, hearing they might not understand, which again, seems like a conflict, but he's wanting to make things known, but he's wanting to see what people want to know because I don't know if you realize this or not, but we only learn what we want to, right? We, we, we filter everything through our prejudice. We, we filter everything through our experiences. We filter everything in this way. And so Jesus is one of saying, do you really want to know? Here's a story. If you're hungry, you'll search a little bit hungry more. But if you're just hungry and I fed you and you just want food, you'll only listen to what you want to hear, which is when's lunch, right? When am I going to get something out of this? What am I going to get this? And Jesus is saying, well, what are you going to give into this? But in John's gospel, instead of having parables, he applies this understanding to Jesus' entire ministry, right? The inability for people to see, hear, or understand explained the Lord's limited success. He wasn't who they wanted, so they didn't follow after that. This didn't go the way they'd planned, so they left it after that. Oh, he says we have to, you know, drink his blood and eat his body. We're not going to go anymore. He's wanting too much from us. I'm not going to follow. What's, what's the return to this? And there's another reason why some of the leaders did not confess their faith. Some did believe, but some didn't. It says in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. There's that word again. They wanted recognition from people more than they wanted recognition from God. Now glory is being given to people. I remember hearing from someone, I don't remember, God will not share his glory with any man, but here he's giving it away. They wanted glory from men, but God had a glory for them. And this is painful that we care more about what people want than what God wants, but it's common. It's common in church and in ministry. It's common in life. We care so much about what people think instead of sometimes what's important or what's best. How many decisions did I make because I wanted to impress somebody, right? wanted them to like me. I wanted to get in with this. I wanted the promotion. Whatever it is, I, I changed my character for a person. Jesus' conversation goes on with Martha about this faith. And he explained to his disciples that although Lazarus had died, that there was still going to be a reason for going to him. Verse 14 of chapter 11 says, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Because they said, Lord, let's go. And he says he sleeps. Oh, if he's sleeping, then let him sleep. He'll get better. He goes, no, 
he's dead. And so he says, well, but I'm glad this happened because I want you to see something that's going on here. And again, this is something that's troubling for me because there's an emotion attached to this. I don't want to have to go through grief. I don't want to have to go through those kinds of things. And when Jesus told Martha Lazarus would rise again, she said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus responded with perhaps the most brilliant I am statement when he says, I am the resurrection. I'm not talking about what will happen later on. I'm talking about what is happening right here. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, he begins this with a universal possibility, right? Whoever believes in me, but he ends with a very specific, do you believe in me? Whoever believes this is available, but do you believe? Because now I'm talking to you. And God takes what is general and he makes it personal. He's taking an event in the lives of these people that's traumatic and he's speaking into that life of these people and he's taking time to talk to Martha. Mary would come up later and she would ask the same or say the same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't die. And then it disappears. We don't see her after that. But here he's talking to Martha and he's saying, do you believe this? See, Martha reached as far as her faith could take her. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. I I believe you as much as I know how to believe you, but this is all I've got. This is all I can give you. Jesus wanted to expand her knowledge and faith beyond that statement. He was more than enlightenment and healing. He was resurrection. He was life. Mary had waited for a call or an invitation to go to Jesus. She didn't run to him at the beginning, but when he asked for her, she got up and came to him, fell at his feet. And every time we see Mary with Jesus, she is at the feet of Jesus. It is a place of honoring him. It's showing respect. She's putting him in a place of being someone she looks up to. But surprisingly, after she says the same thing as her sister, she kind of disappears from the story. And it's interesting because we would expect Mary maybe to say something a little more profound. You know, here's Mary, the one who's been sitting at the feet of Jesus. We are expecting her to say, oh, Lord, something beautiful and poetic. But she says the exact same thing. Grief has a way of bringing out the same desperation in all of us. When you go through something that's traumatic, and I go through something that's traumatic, it feels traumatic. And there are a lack of words to help explain what happens when we go through grief. And the reason is, is because of how our brain works and how we function. There's a punk a part of the brain called the limbic brain that processes emotion. But the limbic brain does not have the ability 
to understand language. And that's why when we're explaining something emotional, we've run out of words. We, we don't know how to say it. Right? If I say, well, why did you marry your wife? Oh, because I love her. Okay, why do you love her? Oh, because she's so kind. There's lots of kind people. Why did you choose her? Was she kinder than everyone else? Well, maybe not, but... Well, because how do you explain that? There, there's too much going on. We find some words, but they're not enough to give an account for what we're expressing inside, what we feel inside. And words fall short, and that's why we have music. That's why we get moved by poetry and things like that. We hear something, and it's like, oh, that spoke to me. Why? Because it touched us emotionally. We put it in the, the cadence of a song or a poem, and now it starts to move us, and now we get to tap into it because our limbic brain is saying, I understand that. And the same thing is happening with grief. It, it touches us deeply, and we don't know how to say what's going on. And that's why at, at funerals and things like that, we, we have cliches, I'm sorry for your loss. You may be, but that's not helping me. It's not touching me. Those cliches happen to fall short, right? Oh, they're in a better place now. They may be, but I'm not in a good place now. I'm in a place without them. And so those words, as well-meaning as they are, they cannot bring comfort, I can remember being at the memorial service and, and conducting the memorial service of an infant that had died. And I remember being in the room before the service with the mom and her boyfriend and the family. And I remember seeing a small casket. And I can remember her just holding onto the casket and crying. And I was not close to her. I knew the mom and that's why I was there. But man, I was moved. I, I move still when I think about it. And I had no words to give to her. Saying I'm sorry doesn't mean anything when you're feeling that. And I remember her coming up and just hugging me and just sobbing on my shoulder. And I am who to her? That's all I could offer her. And I remember crying because, man, this was overwhelming. But there's no words. Tiptoe around a broken heart. Don't be quick to throw out words. Don't to be quick to give out these little cliches. As true as they may be, they're not connecting. Because grief is deeper than that. So how do you get there? How do you get to the depth that is there? In this chapter, in verse 35, it says that Jesus wept. You get there by going there with somebody. And that is such a profound verse for me because I don't think I could believe in a God who didn't weep. 
I couldn't believe in a God who doesn't know what that feels like and to experience it and to go through it with me. Are you with me? It's not enough for me to know that there's a God up there and I can have some intellectual thing. I really don't care right now. I want to know, is he with me? I want to know, is he here and does he know what I'm going through? Because after this brief encounter, Mary Mary leaves and, and they don't have the conversation like he did with Martha. But Mary does reappear in the next chapter, after Lazarus has been resurrected and they're gathered again, Jesus again with his sisters, he goes to their home. And John gives more about Mary, where we have the incident where, we, where uh, Lola read that he and she anoints him with the oil, right? They had a dinner for him. Martha served, of course, and Lazarus, was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from some aromic plant and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And it says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Matthew and Mark tell that story. And Mark also mentions that it was in Bethany, but only John identifies the woman who anointed Jesus and the disciple who complained. John says it was Mary, and John also outs Judas. And the most beautiful statement, I think, in this story is followed by one of the ugliest. Right? The most beautiful is the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. That's just so picturesque. But then Judas says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Matthew's gospel says, why this waste? Here is this act of worship. Here, here is this response to the man who brought her brother back to the Lord who she sat at his feet, who has welcomed her, and she gives this offering, and this perfume is a year's wages. It was some import. It was something fancy. This wasn't Axe Cologne, right, for guys. I mean, this was something that cost a lot. It was probably her dowry for her wedding. It was something that was given for a special occasion. She uses it here. Judas immediately poisons the atmosphere. No one had the opportunity to savor Mary's extravagant love. Her lavish devotion to Jesus was reduced to dollars and cents. Rational. He wasn't going in and experiencing what was happening. He was just bringing this out. Jesus once again comes to Mary's defense, as he had in Luke's story, with Martha, and he says, she may keep it or intend for the day, she's intended this for the day of my burial. There was the resurrection of the dead Lazarus, and now there is the telling of the death of resurrection. There's a contrast going on, and God is good at doing these kinds of just paradoxical things. 
You mean the one who is resurrection and life, who raised the dead, is now being prepared to die? What does this mean? How do we deal with this? John has painted a vivid contrast here, right, between Martha, this one who works and does, and Mary, this one who worships and is contemplative and prayerful. He's presented definitely a contrast between Mary, the lover, and Judas, the traitor. Giver, the other, a thief. It says that Judas was stealing the money that they would get. And here we see that Mary and Martha also represent kind of these two ideas. And it's been thought of by St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, and others that there is an active Christian life and there's the contemplative Christian life. There is the one that does and there's the one that's meditative, right? You have the monks who go off to be with God and then you have those who do the work and serve and like Mother Teresa, do the works of God. And so it's been kind of segregated. More modern terms, it would be the doers, those who are doing and then those who are being, Right, those who are just sitting in this with God and those who are doing the work of God. There's kind of these two camps that people put these things, but I think they're both limited. I, I think the same is true of both of them. We see in Martha that there was definitely something that was deep in her. There was a well that Jesus tapped into. There was a, a contemplative part to her, and we see Mary serving Jesus by anointing him with oil. And so they were both. At the same, it's true of both of them. And I think that we have to recognize that there is a part of this that needs to take place in both of our lives, in our life, both of these aspects where we have room to do and serve, but we need to have room to sit and feel. And it doesn't work one without the other. They complement each other. And that Jesus welcomes both and is speaking to both of those things in us. You see, this whole idea of God being glorified or the glory of God, it's then something that God gives back. Here is the resurrection and the life, giving life by dying. What does God do with the glory that is given to him as he gives it back? That this idea of glory is one where you see more because of it. You feel more because it is there. It's also used the word for weight. It has substance in there. Right, I am doing this so that God might be glorified. I'm allowing you to go through this so that you can see, so that you can feel, so that you can know that I am in the middle of it. That it doesn't matter how deep the pit is, I am deeper still. It doesn't matter how far you go, I am there. And the only way you and I are going to know that is if we go there and you will in your life because that is how life is. There are going to be incredible highs and there's going to be incredible lows. And the glory of God is his presence in the midst. And the invitation for us 
do you believe? Do you believe? Whoever, what about you? And so we have an invitation right now to step in to this. And, and what I want to do in, in this time that we have is allow God to minister to us how close he is. And I don't know what all of you are going through. I know some of what's happening in some of your lives, but I know there is a depth of grief that is in this room. There is tangible difficulty. I can feel it when I see some of you. There is weight on you. And what I want to do is I want you to see that there is God even in that weight. And if we will allow him to weep with us, to speak to us, and allow us to have conversation about what is happening in us, that God will respond with his glory. I'm going to have Randy come up and, and share a song. And as he comes up and starts to sing this song, I want you to hear the words and let God speak to you through this song. Lord, we pray that you would find us in the silence and in our being still. Lord, that you would bring comfort not in changing our circumstances, but with your glory, your presence, the revealing of your close heart to ours. I pray for the needs that are here, the burdens that are here this morning, that you would lift them, God. Again, not necessarily through the change of circumstances, but through the awareness of you. That you are not only close, but you care and you bring with you life. May you fill us with that life. May you change us. May we take time to wait. We allow you to break us. May we open up our hearts and sob into your arms if need be. And may we also pick up the oil and Anoint you by doing service. May we fill the fragrance of our life with it. Lord, following you changes me. May I follow and be changed through whatever I go through. Pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. 
As we leave, I had asked that uh, if you can, when people are clear in front of you, that you push the chairs forward. If I can get a couple of people to stay afterwards and we can stack some of the chairs just to make room so that we can hang out. I don't want you to clean up to leave. I just want us to clean up to make room to hang out. Don't forget your kids. Remember those teachers. May the Lord bless and keep you through all that you go through. May you sense and know how near he is. May you be comforted by his presence. God bless you. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.